Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 73, 2023, Week 8 Recap, Week 9 Preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. I am on the road this week and recording from a hotel in Syracuse, New York. Seeing that I'm in a hotel room and not using my studio's equipment, the show likely has a different sound to it. I am hopeful it is suitable enough for your listening pleasure. With week eight in the books, the playoff landscape continues to change. As usual, we have some league developments to cover. Also, show contributor Mark Halbach returns to review Week 8 games and preview the upcoming matchups. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On April 8th, the St. Louis Battlehawks hosted the Vegas Vipers. The Battlehawks defeated the Vipers 21-17. Also on April 8th, the Orlando Guardians hosted the Arlington Renegades. The Renegades defeated the Guardians 18-16. This result eliminated the Orlando Guardians from postseason play. Then, on April 9th, the San Antonio Brahmas hosted the Houston Roughnecks. The Roughnecks defeated the Brahmas 17-15. This result secured the Houston Roughnecks a spot in the postseason. Also on April 9th, the Seattle Sea Dragons hosted the D.C. Defenders. The Defenders defeated the Sea Dragons 34-33. This result secured the D.C. Defenders a spot in the postseason. As I have previously mentioned, contributor Mark Hallmark returns to review the Week 8 games and preview the upcoming matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to return for, I believe, what is your ninth appearance so we can discuss the Week 8 games and preview this upcoming weekend. Well, Michael, it's always good to be back, and uh, we had a good slate of games this week, very competitive, and, uh, you know, it's coming down to crunch time now where um, the cream is rising to the top here, and uh, playoffs are starting to uh, set themselves up. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to breaking down these games and previewing the other ones. So, yeah, let's get to it. Just as a note, an asterisk for those that are listening this week, I have not watched much of any the XFL action. So I am just kind of going off from what I see for statistics here, the, you know, the stats. And other than that, Mark, I did get the thumb of one game. So we'll be a little bit better discussion when we get to it, but we'll dive right into week eight, game one, the Vegas Piper at the St. Louis battle Hawks with the Battlehawks Hawks winning 21 to 17. I did not see this one, as I just mentioned, because I was driving 1400 miles. So the sacrifices you make for love, you know, ultimately to tie the knot, that's what I'm doing here. So I missed the first 
XFL Modern Rules Overtime. You know, it's I'll have to eventually catch it on demand through ESPN Plus. Seeing that the Battlehawks won this game and we already knew the, the Vipers were eliminated, other than it possibly being a trap game, which it did not turn out to be. Battlehawks keep themselves in a solid position moving forward, which we will talk about preview later on in the show. But looking at this game, what are your takeaways? Well, yeah, I mean, the Vegas came out and decided, hey, we're, we're still going to play for the season here. And, and that's what we like to see. And I think it helps to have win bonuses to keep teams interested and to keep them motivated. You know, what I was impressed with, Jalen McClendon, again, impressed. You know, he didn't have any flashy numbers really or anything, but what I liked about him was he was able to do some things with his legs, running for a few first downs, whether it was, uh, you know, scripted or off script. And he really put himself in there as, you know, somebody that, you know, could stick with this league. I feel if he, if he plays another season in this league, I think he, he can improve, you know, like I said, his numbers weren't flashy or anything, but I think Vegas found their, their quarterback in that regard. Uh, with them, I think he can definitely do some things that the previous quarterbacks weren't as, you know, as mobile. I know Hunley is a little bit, but McClendon's also just, a, he's a big dude. You know, I thought he kept them in the game. I thought he really, really kept them in the game. Obviously, they were winning, you know, throughout the game. And, uh, you know, they were able to drive down real fast, at, you know, their first possession and, and get a score and, you know, get a conversion as well. That was good to see. I mean, it was good to see Coach Woodson having his team play and playing hard. They got a good combination of some running backs uh, that put up some numbers. You know, they were able to run the ball. You know, nobody had, you know, 100 yards rushing, but they all contributed and they all ran the ball very hard. And, you know, the other thing is, is Clendon, you know, he only had one turnover. So, I mean, they played a good game that they they could win. They they played a game, you know, that, that Vegas has to play to be able to be competitive and, and, and win the game. You know, their defense obviously played very well as well. And with the Battlehawks, you know, it, it's a little surprising that A.J. McCarron wasn't starting. I guess I was a little surprised. I didn't hear about it all week or anything like that. In my opinion, I think that was a little bit of a business decision on A.J.'s um, concern, looking towards the future a little bit here. But at the same time, if you feel like you can win a game without him, and, you know, Nick Tiano did a great job, too. Uh, He's doing enough to put them in positions to win. And you can just never count this team out when it comes down to, to the end of the half or the end of the quarter. The situational football that they play there is so good that uh, they're picking up points and they're doing a lot of different things. You know, they were able to overcome, you know, three turnovers. It was, it was there for Vegas to take. And I think there were probably a couple of decisions that coach Woodson would want back a little bit more, but we got to also then see the first overtime game in the XFL, the shootout. And, you know, I got to tell you, I love it. I think that is a great way to end a game. It. People are playing 60 minutes of football. That's a long game. And and when you add another 10 minutes onto it, like the NFL, you know, the biggest thing they don't want is for injuries to happen. Even the NFL wants to get overtime over quickly, right? And this does that. It's kind of sweet how it works. 
Uh, very interesting how penalties can be play a factor, which they did in, in this as well. Uh, but the Battlehawks come back and win a big one in front of a big crowd, keep themselves the front runners right now here, I think, for the second spot in the North. But it'll be nice to see when I'm assuming A.J. McCarron's going to be coming back this week and you know for the stretch here because uh, they got a big game here coming up. Basically, a, a de facto playoff game coming up here versus Seattle. But both teams played very well. I thought, obviously, there wasn't a ton of scoring, but they were moving the ball back and forth, and opportunities struck, you know, and uh, St. Louis was able to take advantage of that. So, you know, kudos to them as well. I just think uh, the Battlehawks, you know, they got games at home here coming up, and they're just going to be, you know, hard to beat. You know, you gotta, you gotta face that crowd and you gotta, you gotta play them for 60 minutes for sure, or even longer in the case of this one for Vegas, but uh, they pull out the win and keep themselves in the picture. I know you just mentioned that the overtime, the way that it was played kind of made it quick and that you liked it, but for somebody like me that still has yet to see it or somebody else that's kind of on the fence, they come across as like a cheapened way of doing overtime in any way or or did it seem like it was very adequate or very modern what was the feel of it i know obviously it's a completely new way and we, i've read the rules over and over from 2020 to now 2023 but the reality is until you get to see it in action i'm just kind of curious how it came across is once you're watching it live did it feel like it was still part of the game did it feel like kind of you know some people are talking about how you know you got the the three different scoring systems for the the point after taking out the kicking of the field goal, get the one, the two, the three. How did it fit with the rest of the game? Does it feel very XFL-ish? Does it not feel very XFL-ish? What are your thoughts? Being that it's uh, from the five-yard line, okay? So this is a two-point attempt. It's an XFL two-point attempt. So that's very important to say because in the USFL, it's a two-point attempt, but it's from the two-yard line. Their two-point attempt is different, right? So. That being said, it's very XFL-ish, and what I like about it, it is about three to eight plays, (laughs) and, you know, barring penalties and things like that, and you got to be precise, and you got to execute on both sides of the ball in order to really do this. Now, can it go back and forth? Yes. I mean, it hasn't. We haven't seen it, but I thought it fit the pace of play. They get the you know, the offense and the defense off the field quickly. I think, you know, that was something that was probably talked about. I think it's great because it's so exciting, right? Like it gave the fans an opportunity, you know, Hey, when you get a stop, you get to cheer. When you get, when you make a conversion, they get to cheer, you know? So to me, it was very exciting in that regard that you had a nice big crowd and they're, they're into it as well. I think it's a good system. I like how it's from the five-yard line uh, because it gives you a little bit more room to work. St. Louis won it because there was a penalty and they were from the two-yard line. So they decided to run the ball and you could hear somebody say, get in there, you know, like it, it was there. And, and you know, Hill was able to squeeze through and score there. And I just really like it. And it's kind of a fun way to end a game. I think it's fair. Right, each team gets the ball. Each team gets the opportunity, both on offense and defense. So the biggest thing is you got to execute. You better have plays designed for it. You better be ready for it. 
And defensively, you better not commit penalties. All right, we'll move on to game two. The Arlington Renegades at the Orlando Guardians with the Renegades winning 18-16. to 16. Not only have the Renegades kept their playoff hopes alive, but they have also ended the Guardian Cinderella journey. Looking at the box score, it appears turnovers trump 300-yard passing games. Uh, <laughs> doesn't matter what Dormady does do or doesn't do. Um, he had it look like on a positive note and a negative note himself. So the guy that was the savior, so to speak, UD12, a week ago, this week, ends up having 300 yards passing, but also has three turnovers of himself. Now, I know we have always discussed on the show, not all turnovers are equal, that some are more detrimental to your team than others. Seeing that I did not get to see this game as well, because I was one of my long travel days heading north, what did you see in this game that obviously tilted it in the Renegades' favor and ultimately give them the victory? Let's talk about Quentin Dormady for a second here. I mean, he did, you know, five turnovers is hard to, to overcome. A couple of turnovers you can. This is a game of inches, and everybody talks about how it's a game of inches played on a big field. He struggled early on. And I think what they were doing early on was they were trying to push the ball downfield. And then all of a sudden they realized, hey, we can't handle their front. The Renegades are just going to sit back and, and play zone and make you keep everything in front of you and let that front seven play the front seven and keep everybody you know in front of them. And once they figured that out and started getting rid of the ball quickly, then Dormady started to heat up a little bit, except then, you know, we started pressing. But the throws that he made and the catches that the receivers made a week prior were there. They just didn't happen. You know, he, he misses a couple of shots downfield by just overthrowing or missing. And some of the stuff was just, you could see kind of going through, um, you know, throwing the ball and it was just kind of sailing out of bounds on him a little bit. It is hard to come back from a really, really good game like that and to have a second one like that. Now, he put up 300 yards, still threw for a touchdown, still ran for another touchdown with the quarterback sneak. So I still think he's the guy there. They just had to go back to getting rid of the ball and protecting, having the back help the tackles out. They really struggled at right tackle this week and he put the ball you know in a very vulnerable position instead of trying to protect it and then when you're trying to come back and and really try to push it down there he just made too many mistakes with that but you know Eli and uh, Rogers and Lattimore you know looked really good again I mean they've got the tools on the outside I feel like they've got a, a good set of running backs that can get them a little bit I they weren't able to run the ball either, okay, because the front seven of Arlington is is very good, and and so it's very hard to do that. And he struggled a little bit there. And I think once they went back to, hey, let's get the ball out quickly, he started to get into a rhythm. Guardians did guardian things again this week and weren't able to overcome them. And that shows how good Arlington is a little bit right now. You know, they'd be driving or they'd, you know, then they get a penalty or they, you know, wind up turning the ball over and then they give up a touchdown, you know, a defensive touchdown. So 
they were doing guardian things. And for them to even be in this, turning the ball over, you know, five times is, is remarkable. Now, when it came to the Renegades, I feel like the first drive kind of symbolizes what the Renegades are all about. They moved the ball straight down the field, got to the five-yard line, first and goal at the five, and then did not gain another yard. It was terrible play calling inside the five. It just, anytime they get inside, you know, the red zone, it seems like they get conservative. It seems like they just want to kick a field goal, and that's what they do. So they kick a field goal. And that's the story with the Renegades. They can get it down in the red zone, and then they have to kick a field goal. Then their defense scores a touchdown. So, and then they may score maybe one touchdown that their defense sets up, right? So, I don't think their offensive problems are fixed. I think Luis came in and did what Luis does, right? He was able to push the ball downfield a little bit, make some completions. This was another game where in between the 20s, going back and forth, they would make some plays and then turnover or, you know, penalty. So, I mean, didn't really change for Arlington. I think their defense, again, led the way. One of the things, though, that I want to note was Arlington needs to figure this out a little bit. And I think the XFL does. And I think the players in the XFL have to figure this out. There were so many unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in this one, whether they were taunting, whether they were physical. Now, there's a reason you're in the XFL, and that might be it. Like, get a little bit mentally stronger play football, and that might be why, you know, the immaturity a little bit, and Arlington showed it quite a bit. I think they even had somebody ejected. But I just, like, grow up. Come on, play football. Everybody wants to, you know, make a little money, make a living doing it. You don't have to stare somebody down or yap at the bench or push or shove. I mean, get over it, okay? And I think Arlington hurt themselves a lot with those. and. I hope that Stoops addresses it because if it happens in a playoff game, they're going to lose. I mean, easily. So I would like to say that to them and to the whole XFL. You got to get a little bit more mentally tough here. Also, the XFL has got to understand, are they able to kind of make a good play? Are you able to stand over the guy or are you not? Penalty or not. And you need to communicate this stuff to the players as well. I just think. a little too much of that, and it just kind of leaves it to be a game that, again, a low-scoring game and 15-yard and penalties are going to take you out. And I think they even had the Renegades were in the red zone, and and they wound up backing up because of these disorder, you know, these um, these penalties and and foolishness. Those are just selfish penalties. Those are thinking of yourself and yourself only. And this is a ultimate team game, and I just hope that you know, they can um, clean that up a little bit before the playoffs. But like I mentioned, Luis, you know, he came in, did, did a solid game. They were able to pull out the win. Terrell Buckley not going for three with three minutes left in the game. Down three points is mind-boggling to me. I think it was mind-boggling to his players. Everybody's, uh, why aren't you going for three? Like, it do- if you score one, it doesn't matter. You know, you can go to overtime. You either want to tie it or, you know what I mean? Like, I just, 
bad coaching decision there. And, and, you know, you could see the difference in the score. It was, it was exactly right there. So a little bit of a interesting game, but uh, Arlington pulls it out, keeps their playoff hopes alive here and eliminates the guardians from any playoff talk. But let's see what the, you know, guardians can do next week. I hope they come out, play hard. I hope Dormady learns a little bit from this week and, and can do the things that we know that he's capable of doing. So before we move on to game three, I think it's important to just mention that last week, you and I, I had Anthony Miller of XFL News Hub on, I had James Larson of XFL Newsroom on, and everyone thought this was the Guardians game. Okay, I think we were all riding very high on emotions. I think a lot of us have seen the Guardians take so many leaps forward and overcoming whatever adversity they had seen initially earlier in the season, whether it was just poor gameplay, whether it was the Dormady playbook situation that eventually got resolved and found to be bogus. But whatever it was, it just seemed like everyone was on a high thinking, okay, well, when you get hot, that's going to be tough to put to an end. But the reality is, I think we all failed to acknowledge that a bad team is a bad team regardless of one hot game or a couple games heading in the right direction. And if you've been shooting yourself in the foot, chances are that's going to resurface. And that's the first thing I saw when I looked at these statistics. And I, I did see a little bit of highlights. And I did see that at the end of the game where Coach Buckley had elected for the one. And I'm thinking, another rookie move. Right. And again, I have not watched this game. I am going purely off the statistics and stuff. And and to be fair, we did let the cart get ahead of the horse, so to speak, on this. I know I'm using some old terminology or some old uh, backwoods terminology. I'm a farm kid. Pardon me, folks. I'm just I can't let go of the saying that I've heard from my father and grandfather for years. But the reality is that, yeah, I think we, we let the feel good moment and the what could be moment kind of play out a little bit more in our minds than what it probably should have. So to be fair for anyone that thought that we were out of our minds, giving a little bit too much credit and we did. Okay. So like we had talked about last week where we were right and where we were wrong. We were obviously probably wrong not to really think about a little more. We let emotions, which I have mentioned multiple times on the show. I'm not a big proponent for letting emotions dictate players and coaches i'd like to be a little bit more grounded apparently i don't think i was grounded enough to be at least the voice of reason that i've always tried to be in in life in general so i will just say that before we move on to the next one if you want to share anything please do if not we'll roll right on to game three so michael yeah i think we we all got pretty excited but you know we we did because they've improved so much and we feel that they found the quarterback after going through a few quarterbacks in Dormady. And it's an exciting team to watch. They can put up points and they can they can really push the ball downfield and their defense can make some plays. And even in this game, they, you know, they only lost by two. And because of a coaching decision, you know, they wind up going for one instead of three. So they could have tied it up. So I mean, they were right there in this one too. So it wasn't like it was a complete disaster. I mean, only losing by two after you turn the ball over five times and have, you know, that many penalties and sacks and things like that is pretty good on their end. So, I mean, I think, yeah, we're looking through Rose Lens glasses, but uh, I mean, I think rightfully so. 
And, um, you know, I think they pick up another win yet this year. I think they will. I, I can't wait to watch them next week. I'll keep tuning in. I'll tune in as soon as I'm a married man. Move on to game three. We have the Houston Roughnecks at the San Antonio Brahmas with the Roughnecks winning 17 to 16. This Roughnecks victory has secured a playoff berth for Wade Phillips and company, as well as another overtime game that, again, I also missed. What are the chances multiple games would require OT? And I'm not saying you have to answer that. It's just kind of a figure of speech. That I'm trying to use it. And, and then I miss it. It's, it just happens to be on a weekend that, you know, I have more important things. I know I have a podcast here, folks, but I'm going to marry the love of my life. So I have committed to this and I have to do it. But I mean, what is the chances that not only do I miss the first one, but the second one happens in the same weekend of which I have to miss. But anyway, Please, just just let me know what your thoughts are on the game. <laughs> well, you know, I call this one the penalty bowl. Uh, there were 18 penalties in this game, and it just got ridiculous. And, you know, and they were, I think, one team had 11 and one team had seven. And this is too many flags flying for, for my liking. It slows the game down. The pace comes down. So either that means it's sloppy play, okay, or the officiating, they're getting a little picky. And I would like to, you know, obviously obvious penalties need to be called and things like that, but most likely the penalties are are probably thrust through. But throughout the XFL right now, I think the officiating needs to improve just like the play does, just like everything else does, right? Just like the marketing does. <laughs> uh, the officiating needs to improve as well. So I hope they're seeing that a, a little bit there. So I'm getting out of my soapbox a little bit and away from really what the players are able to do here. So this was interesting because, you know, Brandon Silvers is back. Um, you know, it was good for him to get in. And I feel like kind of, you know, again, get in the flow of a game, get a complete game in, you know, so that he can, you know, prepare for the playoffs because he's your best bet. And I think they tried the McDonald's experiment and it, for about a half it went well. And, and for, for a game, it did not. Um, and that kid's got some upside, but he, he, he's got a lot of work he's got to put in the offseason. But Brandon, Brandon played well enough, you know, to, to get two touchdowns. And I still feel like they're missing Kirkland so much. I feel like he's such a dynamic player. You know, I think we knew about that as he was playing, but you really find out how things are going when somebody's not there, right? Well, and right. I was going to say, just by looking at the numbers, I, I'm, Apologize for interrupting you. By looking at the receiving statistics here, the roughneck, Orgy being the leading receiver, he had three receptions, 49 yards, four targets. But there's other guys that were targeted nine times. Bandy, we had what, six for Burnett and five for Harris. But the fact that Borgi still ends up the leading receiver just tells you that. They are missing Kirkland big time. And yeah, looking at Silver's statistics, he didn't have a great passing game by any stretch. You know, when you look, he went 17 to 36 for 146 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, yeah, Silver's is trying to get back in the mix, but at the same time, not connecting with receivers and getting the yardage and relying on a running back or running backs when you look at the even. Uh, 
well, Colleen was in there, but it had two targets. But I mean, like they're trying to do their thing. But it just—I'm sorry that I cut you off. But the, yes, the, I think you're on to something there. I think a lot of people, if they are not acknowledging that fact, need to acknowledge that fact that that this team may have been better if Kirkland stayed healthy, and they may have battled a little bit more with Northern Division teams. But it doesn't matter. The reality of the landscape is what it is. So go ahead. Yeah, I just think they're missing them a little bit, even. You know, San Antonio does play kind of that defense, though, of keep everything in front of you. So having your running back as the check down doesn't surprise me that he led in receptions because they want to keep everything in front of them. And then, you know, bend but don't break, right? And you can move the ball up and down in between, you know, the 30s. But once we get there, then, you know, good luck. And they've been doing that all year. The The problem that the Brahmas have is an they got an offensive line problem that I feel like they haven't even tried to address here. And maybe that's me not understanding every transaction that goes on, you know, and I know Patrick had 96 yard rush rushing, which was a great day by him, but they cannot protect the quarterback. And even Heinz Ward said, we're getting sacked on a quick game on a three-step drop, you know, quick game. They're getting sacked. That can't happen. So this has been their Achilles heel all year long is that they can't push the ball down the field because of the fact that they can't protect long enough. You know, so Jack comes in and does Jack Cone things, right? He, he's efficient, throws underneath, takes what they give him, moves the ball. You know, Romo kicks a couple field goals and, and you're good to go. And then they, you know, they make some plays at the end of the game to put them in a good position to obviously put them in overtime. Houston, like I said, I don't think they're as explosive without Kirkland and that may come to bite them in the playoffs or the championship game, but the Brahmas, they, they're just, their offensive line has been their Achilles heel all year long. And I don't feel like they're really doing anything to help that situation. So until they get that fixed, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for them. You know, you could put Joe Montana back there. It's not going to matter, you know, because just of the fact that if you don't have time and you don't feel comfortable, uh, you're not going to be able to do it. So I give Jack Cohen some credit. I mean, he did, you know, have a couple of interceptions, but he did have some plays that put them in the game, you know, when it came to that. And Patrick did have a nice little game running, but those are coming as eight, nine yard chunks. They're not getting, you know, 30, 40 yard chunks in the running game either so you know san antonio just has a lot of work to do on the offensive line and i keep beating that but they're not going to really go anywhere until they fix that problem or address it and the roughnecks you know like i said it's good to get brandon back right now so that he clinch a playoff spot he can play and, and make sure that he's you know healthy and in mid-season form at the end of the season so that uh, they can play well in the playoff games but other than that you know, the, the overtime was, was definitely exciting as well. I did like how the San Antonio fans kind of all went down to the end zone <laughs> um, so that they could cheer them on. But unfortunately, um, it was to no avail there. But exciting finish. Again, though, San Antonio doesn't play all that great, right? And they still got an opportunity to win. So there is a little bit of parity coming in, in the XFL. It's just now you got to learn how to win those games. and. You can see the teams that have veteran coaches and, and maybe some veteran players who have, uh, you know, been in practices and been in games um, that mean something, right? Not just preseason games in the NFL. 
but had to play situational football, you know, you're seeing that kind of rise to the top as well. When I did look at the box score of this game, I was somewhat shocked to see that Paxton Lynch didn't play for the Brahmas. You know, they had picked him up earlier in the week. And I'm not saying that I expected him to be the starter. I knew that Cone would, as long as he was good to go, would take back the reins, seeing they had injuries to some of the other guys. But just that they claim Paxton Lynch, I thought I would see him because essentially desperate teams make desperate moves. And at some point, I just thought that they would throw him into the mix for at least a series or something. But I guess without watching the game, maybe it was closer than what it was. And they just felt like they couldn't take that chance. So they had a chance to beat the division leader, which would have been actually huge for them. It would have kept things wide open to the playoff race if it would have been, you know, two four-win teams and a three-win team or something like that. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, they were never out of it. You know, they were always a possession, you know, away from tying it up. And and they did that, right, at the end. You know, so I think, yeah. And then they kind of saw what happened when you throw somebody in on short notice previously before. And they were like, hey. And, you know, Jack Cohn's earned his spot here uh, a little bit. If he's got a little bit better of an offensive line and you get him a playmaker on the outside, you know, I think he can push the ball downfield a little bit more. I just don't think they're they're doing it because he wouldn't be standing, you know, and, and they've had so many quarterbacks kind of get hurt uh, because of the, the lack of strength on the offensive line there. So they were still in it, though, yeah. I mean, but we'll we'll see what happens this week. Are they, do they go with, you know, Jack again or do they go with Paxton? I mean, I think sometimes you pick up Paxton just to have that quarterback, though, too, right? You need to have three quarterbacks on the roster. Why not add somebody who's been playing instead of signing somebody off the street? Let's give that kid an opportunity to get some practice reps at least. He signed with the XFL. Let's, you know, use them a little bit more. So I don't mind the shuffling of quarterbacks from team to team. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens coming up this week. So we'll move on to game four, D.C. defenders at the Seattle Sea Dragons with the defenders winning 34-33. to Fortunately, this is the one game that I was able to watch a good amount. This was a fantastic game with playoff implications for both teams, so they were heavily invested. With this defender's victory, they have secured a playoff spot. So what are your thoughts? Let's dig into this one here a little bit. Jordan Tiamu looks fantastic. And you said it a few weeks ago. We haven't seen it yet, right? And if he ascended like we thought he could, watch out for the defenders. And he he has over the last three games. They can beat you deep now. They can beat you running the ball. They can beat you every single way that they can. They got some playmakers. One week, it's, you know, obviously Abram Smith is consistent. You know, one week he's got a great game, and then all of a sudden, you know, Lucky Jackson last week had a really good game, and now it was Chris Blair that had a had a game. So everybody's kind of stepping up there to show, hey, I can I can play here. So that's really good to see for them. With that, I just think Jordan's playing out of his mind right now, and we talked about it in our preview show. You know, I mentioned I felt that he wasn't in the right offense or it just wasn't a good marriage, you know, in the USFL with Coach Haley. And I think it's a good fit with, you know, Fred Case and with what they're doing here in D.C. And um, 
he looks spectacular. He looks MVP-ish right now. I mean, that's how good he's looking. And then you go to the other side, and, and Ben DiNucci puts on a show as well. I mean, throwing for 300 yards in this league is, is not easy with a running clock, and he's done it a few times. And he was very conscious about, like, his issues, right? I felt like, but he was making some great throws, too. <laughs> I mean, they attacked the seams, which seems to be a little bit of a weakness in the defender's defense. I mean, he put some throws there that were like, they were right on the money and they were, he's just kind of flicking the wrist. I mean, he's looking like Aaron Rodgers when it looks effortless, you know, and I think that's great for him. And I think he was very like self-conscious about, Hey, let's not throw an interception, even though he had one, you know, let's not make this a, a big deal here. And he played unbelievable. You know, Joan Green, obviously he had a huge, huge game. He had a big play had two touchdowns. I think, Adding Philip Lindsay, I think you're going to see that even more. I was surprised they didn't run him a little bit more, but you know, you kind of got to ease into it a little bit. But you know what? He's pretty strong and he's got fresh legs. I always say in the NFL, you need three running backs, right? You need two of them for the regular season and you need the third guy for the playoffs and the championship run because he's got fresh legs. Watch teams where that happens and you'll see them go far in the playoffs a lot of times. But this was an exciting back and forth game and, you know, came down to the end and really what a way to end it. I mean, there were 30 points scored in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's what we want to see. Right. And, you know, it wasn't the best weather either. Right. I mean, it was, they were, it was coming down for a while there, but yeah, this was a great game and, and this was a great battle and important playoff implications as the defenders, you know, lock it in and probably lock home game in for the playoffs. Yeah, but what a what a game, and I'd like to see a couple of these every week, right? The defenders lost by one uh, the week before, and they win by one here. So sometimes things average out here a little bit. Well, what I saw from this game, obviously, is that the defenders have been the front runner since day one, obviously, because they went on a tear of winning games and not losing anything until they met the Guardians. So could that be the one-off loop? Yeah, possibly, because we talked about how special teams kind of just didn't let them down and a slip kickoff, you know, last week and, you know, missing two field goals. Yes, the one was significant yardage, but the one they should have probably have had. So that's the case. Could it have been a fluke? Yes. But they were in the driver's seat here again, leading, you know, after the first, leading after at halftime and whatnot. But where the encouraging part is that although you're down, you're not out, is that Seattle, give it a go in the fourth. I mean, they both put up the most points they had in any quarter, but they come out and score 18 points. And, I mean, yes, they lost by one, but the reality is it was a game, and it was a game to the end. So that made for a good game. It, it had playoff implications. It had everything you wanted wrapped around. And even though this puts Seattle – not really on the outside looking in now because they're not out of two games ago. This just tells you that Seattle is just as good and can compete if they're in the playoffs. But that North, yes, we know that DC is the team, but this team could very well also make a run because they're just that talented. Like you mentioned, Lindsay gets in. Yeah, he got what? He carries or whatever it was. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but a, 
but he got a taste and you know, he's going to get a little bit more next week and just not to start getting into the preview, but this team is now in a bad spot. Yes. You just kind of look at where they are in the rankings right now with who's won and who's lost record wise, but they're not in a bad spot with two games to go. If anything, if Danucci's taking care of the ball a little bit more and not going to be as turnover happy, so can rack in 300 yard games. And as the running game kind of gets back with Lindsay now, this could be very dangerous. It could very well be. Yeah. I mean, if, if they do make the playoffs, they'll compete. I think that's the thing. It's, it's just get in and records are zero and zero. You know what I mean? Like it, that's the same with the South too. You know, I'd hate to say it. I have a feeling Arlington's going to be the team getting in, even though, you know, there's still a chance for the Brahmas. But if Arlington, you know, gets in, records don't matter anymore. It's, it's that game. So you got to play that game. So it can really come down to that. And Seattle proved they, we can compete with you. And I never felt like Seattle was really ever out of it. They can score so quickly that two possessions down. I don't feel like they're ever really out. And, you know, with the fourth and 15, even if they're out down or tied, they can pick that up pretty easily. I mean, that doesn't seem like out of reach too often to them. So, so yeah, I mean, they'll compete. I mean, and then we're going to see though, I, you know, there's some complaints about the, you know, kind of the playoffs with, you know, maybe one of these teams right in the North is going to get left out. Well, guess what? That's good news. Cause that means we got a playoff race. If it was just eight teams right now, we would probably only have maybe the, the last playoff race, but we're, we're in a playoff. So you could have a good winning record and not make the playoffs. That's a good league. You know, that's a, that's a good league and that's competitive. And it just shows how even these teams can be. I'm glad you mentioned it that way because with only two more weeks remaining, there are four teams vying for the last two playoff spots. We will look ahead to week nine. When game one, we have the two and six Vegas Vipers at the five and three Houston Roughnecks. With the Vipers eliminated, the Roughnecks have already secured. But can they make it look a little bit more pleasant to the eyes that a divisional leader could be? Five and three is not a bad record. I mean, it's obviously a winning record. They've guaranteed to be at least 500. So we've eliminated a four-and-something team winning the division. But here we are. What do you anticipate here? I mean, the Vipers have actually been a competitive team with McClendon the past two games. We know that the Roughnecks are still getting Silver's back healthy. And we know they don't have Kirkland. So what do you anticipate here? I mean, like I said, I mean, parity in this league is, is starting to kind of show a little bit. Houston's still playing for home field advantage. You're still playing for a win bonus. A thousand dollar win bonus isn't much when you're making, you know, $2.5 million, right? A year. But when you're making 60 K a year, a nice thousand dollar win bonus, that's kind of nice. So I think it's kind of cool that they have this and I think it keeps the players motivated and it's what I would use. I'd be like, Hey, let's go get paid. You know, I would even use that line, you know, let's go get paid if I was out of a playoff race or anything. Vegas is going to come in and play like these players are still playing for game tape. They're still playing to, to prove themselves. They're still playing to do this and Woodson's going to have them ready. So uh, this is a toss up game. Really? You know, if Houston comes in, plays really well and Brandon starts lighting it up, that's great. But people haven't done that against Vegas lately. 
And so I think you're going to see this. And with McLennan, I mean, they can score some points. Um, do I think this is going to be a, a 30 to 30 game? No, this is this is going to be probably that maybe that 17 to 12 game or the 20 to 15 game, you know, but it'll be competitive. It'll be close. I don't think I don't, I'm not expecting a blowout here at all. I think players and these coaches know what to kind of sell and motivate their players with at this time of the year, whether you're in the playoffs or out of them. I acknowledge Vegas is playing well with McClendon, but here's what will hurt Vegas. There's enough game tape of McClendon now running this offense that Wade Phillips and company can now actually start to prepare for, whereas maybe other teams didn't quite have enough. I think they're going to be competitive, but I still think the Roughnecks are going to win this game and probably win it by a touchdown or so. Not maybe two touchdowns. I think they could probably grab it by like seven, eight points. That's just kind of what I think is going to happen. I mean, at some point, that game tape is going to catch up with somebody. You can only catch somebody off guard to some extent. Not that they won't play and they won't be competitive. It won't be a blowout, but I do think now the Roughnecks are going to mean business. Now it's like, hey, we're in the playoff. Let's now take care of business of having the home game. So I think there's enough there for them to play for. And with that game tape, I think that will be the rough neck. Just, just enough for them to take care of business. Yeah, that, that's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, this is McClendon's third game. So it's, hey, it, uh, are you the guy or aren't you the guy? I think he is. But then I told people I was wrong before when I was screaming for Brett Hudley to start. But um, I think he's got enough. I think brings... You know, he can pick up a first down or two with his legs, you know, oh, when yeah. the passing game breaks down and can keep them in games then when that happens. And I, I think you're right. I think people do get a little bit of game tape on him, but obviously he's getting more reps and he's getting more of the first team reps. So we'll we'll see. Sometimes game three is the hardest one, right? Because you, like you said, people have tape on you now. They got two games on you. You're not going to really sneak up on anybody. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Okay, moving on to game two, we have the one in seven Orlando Guardians at the two in five San Antonio Brahmas. It just on paper looks terrible, but for the Brahmas, they're not out of the playoff picture. They have to win out. So this is, if anything, it's a must win, obviously. It, the whole rest of the schedule is a must win for them, but you can't win the second one or week 10 if you don't take care of week nine. So this, this is where it's at. And now all of that talk about the playbook. Well, don't they have it now with Paxton Lynch? I'm not, you know, I'm saying like now they have it. We were worried about this earlier in the season. It was going to ruin Quentin Dormady's career potentially. And we came out to be bogus, but now San Antonio had the playbook anyway. They've had it for plenty of time to prepare. So how can I not say this is the Brahma's game, even though, the Guardians have been competitive. Heck, won a game, but have been so competitive for the past couple of weeks or three weeks or so. But actually, really four now, right? If I, if I put it together, maybe four weeks. It's kind of hard to think the Guardians are not going to be competitive again, but just knowing that San Antonio has got their backs up against the wall. They have to win it. They have the playbook in hand now. Officially, we know they have it, right? So I'm saying... If I was to pick one game definitely against the Guardians, it has to be this. But it's going to be a competitive game. I think it's San Antonio's. 
Yeah, I, you know, I still want to go with the Guardians. I just, I feel like if they can make less mistakes, they got more of an explosive offense. And but here's what's going to happen: the Brahmas are going to play that shell, right? And it's going to be okay. We're going to march down the field and kick field goals. I don't think this is going to be a super exciting game. I think it's going to be a, you know, very, you know, kind of back and forth who's making field goals and who can get a touchdown and who can overcome their mistakes. But if the guardians do have the weapons to kind of break that defense a little bit, uh, you know, maybe throwing short and running long a little bit more this week, you know, instead of trying to go deep a little bit more, but, the other thing too is is San Antonio's 0-3 at home. And, you know, their fan base is pretty good. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be great for the XFL as it grows. They gotta start winning some games in the dome. Yeah. You know, uh you, you gotta put it together. I know these guys, they all f- take the bus or fly together, whatever they do, but you gotta win win it at home. You got the nicer locker room, you know that at the home, you know, you got the fans behind you. That is something. And you got to protect that house and you better have that mentality that nobody comes into your house and wins. I think, yeah, I think they, they do sneak it out, but I don't think like it's going to be a, I think this is going to be another like 15 to 12 game. If the over under is over 33, I'll be surprised. I will be surprised if it's over 33, which has been the lowest one we we saw this year. So I I just don't think there's going to be a lot of fireworks here. Um, and then with these coaches, which one's going to kind of make that mistake or which one's going to totally redeem themselves? We'll have to see, but I think this one, it comes down to who can score touchdowns. You know, if you're in the red zone and you're kicking field goals, it's not going to win this game. It could win this game actually, you know, um, if you put up enough of them, but yeah, I just don't know, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to root for the guardians. I just, I just feel like, I like their guys on the outside so much, and I do like how Dormandy gets rid of the ball quickly. I don't like the coaching decisions all the time, the actions on the sidelines, but they deserve a little bit more, you know, love, and and I'm trying to give it to them, (laughs) I guess. But we'll see. It's just funny how the tables have turned. Last week, you and I were thinking, whoever wins that Renegades game, right, is going to take that final spot. So if Guardians were to beat the Renegades last week that we hear we thought the Guardians were going to go on a tear and take care of the spot. But in the reason why I say it's San Antonio's, it's not because they just lost to the Renegades. It's because you don't realize how important certain players may be to a team until you lose them. But when the Guardians traded or picked up TJ Stormont, the offensive lineman that had previously played for the defenders the week before he became a guardian. But then they lost him in that game versus the defenders. And he's out. People don't think about where the guardians were making their improvements just to lose one of the moves they made to improve that offensive line. And I didn't get to watch the renegades and guardians this past weekend. You didn't. The one thing you're mentioning again is the offensive line. Well, here we are. EJ made a difference to that offensive line. What a difference he made is now taken away. So now they're essentially right back to where they were. Now, I'm not saying that a guy like Dormandy can't still put up 300 yards. But the thing is, he's going to be under a lot more duress. 
He's going to be put in situations that make more mistakes, whether it is more fumbles like he did last weekend. So when I look at this, that's why I have to give it to the Brahmas because they're up against the wall. They're going to be playing for lives. And you better believe if, if you can smell blood, if this is a shark in water, they're going to go for it at that offensive line. And that's what I truly believe is going to happen. So unless the Guardians can figure out that offensive line and get them to finally get their heads out of their backside or whatever and pull this out, I think it's a promise. And I, it's not to, to look at anything other than that offensive line. That's why I'm saying that, you know, sometimes what was your Achilles heel becomes your Achilles heel and remains your Achilles heel. So that's what I'm looking at. Well, I'd like what Orlando has done scheme-wise a little bit to help. Watch the running back a little bit and watch, you know, obviously the tight ends a little bit, helping with the with the offensive tackles, especially the ones that were having difficulty. They weren't doing that early on in the game this week uh, versus the Renegades, and, and they were getting to them. And then all of a sudden, you know, they went back to that, and then they went back to getting rid of the ball quick. San Antonio plays that Ben versus don't break. So they're going to get a lot of underneath passes, a lot of Dinkin and Duncan. It's, hey, can one of those guys, can Rambo or Rogers or Latimer, you know, can they split the defense and, and run? And they can. That's why I like the Guardians, because I still think they have enough explosiveness. And the Brahmas, to me, I think their offensive line's just as bad or even worse. And so I know it's been very, documented and talked about about the guardians but nobody's talking about it with the brahmas because they get 96 yards rushing but watch their pass protection i mean they got nothing so i mean it's gonna be like i said it's just gonna be interesting to see you know scheme wise how they how they both you know kind of work the game and and honestly you know what players go make plays you know san antonio does have a an upper for leg no pun intended with romo as a kicker you know, he's been probably the best kicker in the league. So, I mean, if it comes down to being a close game and, and being in field goal range, they need to take points. They can't risk, you know, we're going to go for it on fourth down here at, you know, at the 30 yard line. You, you know, if you got points, you got to take them this week. So, but yeah, we'll see what happens. But I understand what you mean. I mean, they lost that. They felt they had um, needed improvement there. And then you lose it. You're in that staff meeting going, what do we got to do to get a break? And, you know, honestly, you just got to stay positive and, and move forward and coach them up. We always just said, coach them up. Let's do it. You know, that's our job. So let's go do coach, it. Coach Buckley, the meetings have to be at nine o'clock now, not at eight 30. That's what they have to be. Okay. I'm just, I'm taking a little shot. I'm sorry. <laughs> a little shot. <laughs> well, I mean, the, I would have loved to have seen the discussion. So we used to, at one place that I was at, we used to meet after if it was an away game, when we got back off the bus, we met uh, real quick to talk about things that happened. And I'll tell you what, those were some heated arguments uh, about clock management and things like that. And I could imagine if they meet after that, if somebody's pounding the table, I hope somebody is, you know, they could get heated. So. All right, we'll move on to game three. We have the four and four Arlington Renegades at the seven and one DC Defenders. I just cannot anticipate any way the Renegades are going to actually be in this game now that DC is functioning on, in my opinion, all cylinders. And knowing that that offense, or meaning the Renegades offense, is not 
as competitive as some of these other offenses can be or have been. I think the defenders' defense might have a field day. We might start seeing where that team gets back into that pick six, that turnover return for six situation, which some of those guys have licked their chops at. And maybe if they really look at this, you know, Luis, yes, only one game film with the Renegades, but they seem to know what Luis is about anyway. I think there's enough film of him out there. He's not a rookie quarterback, kind of like McClendon was when I was referring to enough tape being out there finally. I don't know if I would use him being with this team too new. So I just, I can't see how the Renegades would be competitive. I don't see this being a close game at all. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Renegades have crossed the 20-point threshold once this year. And so, I mean, if if DC can get out to a two-possession game, and I mean 14 points when I talk two possessions or, you know, 15 to 16 points, there's, the Renegades don't have the capabilities of coming back, right? So, but they've proven that they can win ugly. So if the Renegades are going to win this game, it's going to be an ugly game. Okay. And, and Jordan's going to wind up not playing well and turning the ball over and they'll get a little antsy and get King in there and things will happen. Whereas if they just kind of stick with the program, right? I mean, this is a great matchup and battle up front the defenders O-line versus that front seven of the the Renegades. That's the toughest front seven that DC is going to see all year. So if the game is low scoring, the Renegades have an opportunity, but if they have to score more than 20 points, not going to happen. I mean, unless their defense gets two pick sixes, which can happen. Okay. But I don't think their offense has enough. And really, I think Luis He's going to have one of those games where he does his job, but he's got that one boneheaded play where he doesn't feel the rush coming and boom, the ball's out. It's a turnover. So I don't expect Arlington to really change who they are. Right. And kicking field goals isn't going to win this game for him, but their defense can keep him in it. So we'll, we'll have to see. This is going to be a good matchup and I think a good test for, for DC. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think, they come out and, and win this game pretty easily if they don't turn the ball over. Here's the what if for you, or what is the possibility? What are the chances that the defenders decide to sit to Amo? Knowing that they have secured this playoff spot, not the, the top spot yet, the home game, but knowing that they have secured the top one, knowing that the defense they're up against is a solid defense, do they just take the day and be like, you know what, let's not risk. You know, there's ramifications that could happen either way from this. If you sit Tom and he's been on a roll now, kind of got in, you know, groove and he's back to what we have seen, essentially his playback from 2020. I mean, you could potentially set that back. But my thing is they're finishing out now with the Renegades and, and the Brahmas. This is a home game. Do you think you have enough where you could maybe just give King the off of the reins? Or do you feel like you can just do something there? Because in the end, you're like, it doesn't matter because the next game we're going to preview is going to potentially help one way or another. You know what I'm saying? Because even if 
and we're going to get ahead a little bit, uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks are able to beat the Seattle Sea Dragons in the fourth game. And they lose this game. They still have that tiebreaker in the head-to-head games. And then even if Seattle wins it and St. Louis loses it, right? You got the tiebreaker now with them. Yes, you still have a game in hand over it. So do you start to play this, we're going to try to manage our roster and not and try to limit potential injuries, knowing that we're secured in and knowing we have that tiebreaker in head-to-head? I'm just because now you, you don't have to worry about that. It essentially takes away the tiebreaker because that's the first of the tiebreak. I'm just looking at this as a scenario where if Tom who does not play, this would be the only way I could see the Renegades actually winning this game because it could be just enough where they're not firing all cylinders. It's a big hypothetical. It's a big coulda, woulda, or what if. But I'm just putting it out there because by me looking at the schedule, if I'm in that meeting and I'm thinking winning championship at this point, I wouldn't want to risk Tom. I mean, I don't even want to risk Abram Smith. At some point, it might be like, this defense we're off going up against is going to probably bring the house. They're a solid defensive unit. Why put our offense up against these guys if we don't necessarily have to? That's just my thoughts. Go ahead. I'll give you the floor. Yeah, those are all things that are probably being discussed and probably being decided. I've always been on the side of don't overthink it. Okay, let's not overthink it. Let's just go play a football game. When you're afraid of somebody getting hurt, that's when they get hurt. So, you know, go out there and play the game. And, and if it happens, it happens. I mean, you got to overcome injuries. It is a professional football is a league of kind of the next men up type attrition, right? It's the word I'm looking for, right? I don't think so. I think maybe if halfway through the third quarter, you're up by three scores. Yeah, then King comes in, or maybe King comes in to run the ball a little bit more in the red zone or for the conversions so that Tiamo's not taking those hits. Yeah, I I think that's good. I know he did get beat up a little bit this game, you know, but that's part of being a a pro quarterback, right? You're going to have those games and you got to know how to get your body to recover a little bit more. You know, St. Louis was, in in my opinion, lucky, right? Like, I mean, they squeaked a, a win out. I mean, they were losing all game. And they were able to squeak a win out without A.J., and they decided to do that. But I think that was more of an A.J. and his team decision than it was a Battlehawk decision. But I don't want to get into my speculation there. Well, right, but that uh, could help plant the seed, though, right? If McCarron supposedly had, I think it was an issue with his shoulder a little bit. I'm not saying it was definitely enough to take him out of the game, but I think it was enough to hey, we're close enough now. Let's just make sure we we think we might be able to squeak out a game. But now you see another team starting to do it to make sure they're healthy when it comes to postseason. You're like, ah, I'm not seeing you start playing. Uh, well, so-and-so's doing it, so we have to do it. But the reality is like, hey, that's not a bad idea. Let's come to the table. Our, you know, our schedule is against the South. It's the weaker division. These teams are scrambling. They're going to be throwing whatever they can at whoever. They're going to play you in desperation mode, essentially. That's kind of just where I'm like, eh, do, do you risk it? And then I think if Tom will plays, they win it. I, if he plays a half of the game, I think they win it. If he plays three quarters, they're definitely going to win it. I mean, I, I know it's pretty bold to say because there are four quarters of the game and heck if it gets to overtime, but the reality is that team is that much better. And like you said, you can't get field goal to win this game. It, not, not against that offense. I mean, ruffle some feathers speculating and this is me 
looking from the outside in just of stories that I've heard from NFL camps and things like that, that happen. I think it was more AJ and his camp. And when I say by his camp, I mean, his agent, his people, right. Right. That are part of his camp. Again, I'm speculating, but I I think that was more of AJ saying, Hey, I think I want to sit out this game because I don't want this to get worse because guess where I'm going to be in the fall. Right. I'm not going to be in the XFL. I'm going to be in an NFL camp and I want to compete. I don't want to have to have my shoulder, you know, know, my, my moneymaker and the agent's moneymaker and the publicity guy's moneymaker. And the reason I say that is because I, I always, (laughs) they, people like that play a little bit of a role in decision-making for players and the teams like uh, the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers situation. You know, Andrew Brandt is very expressive about he was an executive for the Packers at the time, how the agents would, Brett Favre's agent would call, hey, what are you doing trying to push us out? We're not out. We're here. And then Rogers' agent would be calling, when's he going to play? You drafted him to play. Oh, you're going to be signing a bigger contract. And, you know, they were pushing for their guy. You know, so you go back and your agent, you know, you talk to that guy on a weekly basis, probably. And you say, hey, you know, and the agent goes, well, hey, see if you can sit out, you know, and and rest it a little bit. Now, again, complete speculation. But I think to me, that's a little bit of what it was. Because, Because to me, you got to look at it as the individual sometimes, too, right? To AJ, again, in the fall, he can be in an NFL camp if he keeps playing the way he is. But if he's got a bum arm, he can't do that stuff in the NFL, and then he gets cut. And he was making some money there, came here to play, and he may do that again next year, right? Who says he doesn't? But I can guarantee he's going to be, if his shoulder is good and he can throw the ball, he's going to be in a camp, even if it's just for a camp arm. But now remember the NFL – they're talking about maybe adding that third quarterback, right? Because of the NFC championship game, the XFL just did it, you know, this year with the 51st player, right? So I think that's a little different situation than what we're talking with Jordan. Now, Jordan, if he keeps playing well, he, he might be in an NFL camp too again. I mean, uh, people might be like, oh, he's, he's ascending, right? And he's getting better. So I don't know. I think the situations are, are different, but could be similar. Remember, I'm speculating on the AJ situation. It could have been worse, you know, of a of an injury than what we're being told. But typically, if you're coming back the next week, you know, if he was in the NFL and he was a starter in the NFL, he would have played, I think, with that. He would have at least went out there and tried with that shoulder. But we'll see what he does this week. I'm excited that he does come back. So I, I don't want to think I'm talking ill of AJ. I'm just saying, if I'm in that situation, those are the things I might look at. And if I'm in the defenders, I might be looking at this too as well. So, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they do sit them. I don't know. It'd be crazy if they did, if you ask me. Well, neither of us have a crystal ball. So let's go ahead and move into game four. We have the five and three Seattle Sea Dragons at the six and two St. Louis Battlehawks. You just mentioned, we believe AJ McCarron's back. So we got him under center. We know the Ducci's going. That offense is starting to click. We got Lindsay and Game two now, he's already got one under his belt. This is needed. Both of these teams need this victory because it's not just a victory. It's a head-to-head victory. So by winning, you cause harm to the other competitor for that last slot. So 
it's interesting because now I know this is in the battle dome and I know they have a huge fan base, but I look at the Seattle team and I just, I feel like I can't say this is not their game. They just have played too good. They're right there knocking on the door against the defenders. Unless Danucci turns the ball over being that gunslinger that he essentially is. And if he does that, yeah, I can see them losing. But if he can take care of the ball and Lindsay gets enough carries and makes this more of a double-headed dragon, so to speak, here, I think it would be Seattle's game. I, I know it's going to be a little harsh for Kaka Nation to hear somebody picking another team to come in their house and, and beat them in front of their 35,000, 38,000 fans. But I would think that this team is looking pretty solid. I mean, statistically, I mean, I just I don't know how you'd pick against them. They were hot for a while. Now they've kind of got a little air deflated out of them. Now they got that sting that might be enough to hit light a little bit more fire for them to breathe some serious fire on somebody. I I don't know. I mean, and if AJ is not, I mean, AJ needs to be in this game. I, I, that's why I would agree with that he's back. I think that's why I got sat last week, whether it was him or the team, it doesn't matter. I think he's back, but now sometimes coming off a, a game off can also hinder you. You know, I get back in this way. Thing. So I'm picking Seattle in this one, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, Seattle to me, you know, this is a, it's a de facto playoff game. Seattle's back turning against the wall. It's going to be very difficult for them to make the playoffs if they lose. So I think AJ will, yeah, I think he's going to be in for sure. The other reason that I know he'll probably be in is because this is a 2 PM central start time and ESPN on Sunday. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be eyes on this game, right? I mean, everybody's going to want to watch this one because it's got playoff implications. And there's going to be 30-some people in the Dome. There's going to be a great atmosphere. And there's going to be two NFL quarterbacks that have played in NFL games going at it and and their teams. So I think this is going to be one – this is going to be a wild ride. But I do think Seattle pulls it out at the end. I think there's going to be fireworks in this one. Like, I think – they're going to be back and forth and going to be some scoring. And it's going to be a very exciting game because people are going to be leaning on pretty much every play, you know, and two good coached teams. So situationally, they're going to take advantage of their situations and whoever can take advantage of those. And, and especially at the end of the half and the end of the game where the battle Hawks are outstanding, you've really got to take a look at that, but yeah, this one's going to be great. And, um, you know, it's got a good start time on a good network. So I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this one. This is an elimination game if Seattle were to lose. Now, it's not for the Battlehawks, but if Seattle, the Sea Dragons, were to lose this game, they're out of it. Because mathematically, even if the St. Louis Battlehawks were to lose the following week, there's a win difference. You know, so. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I think it's great that Two good teams are in the playoff hunt, right? I'd rather have that than two, four and five teams, you know, going at it um, for for a five and five playoff spot. I'd rather see this uh, during the regular season because now you get a game like this. You get one that's really, really important. I'm surprised and just schedule wise, you know, and I think the XFL will, will kind of probably, I mean, obviously this was, hey, just get games on networks and you know, let's get the games going. They have in week nine, it's the, the, and, and maybe they did it on purpose. I, I guess, you know, week nine here being the North versus the North and you know what I mean? And the South versus the South. 
so that, you know, there is a game like this that means something. Whereas if it was in week 10, so I'm mistaken, I misspoke before, they kind of figured this out. Whereas in week 10, it could already be decided, right? So you get a game like this and maybe you get two games and then you probably get one in this, you know, something that has, uh, you know, playoff implications in the, in the 10th week as well for the South. So um, exciting to watch and to have a big game in week nine is going to be great to have it on ESPN is going to be great to have it in St. Louis is going to be great. It's going to really show honestly game of the year right now. Because of the network, the St. Louis fan base, the two quarterbacks, the two coaches, <laughs> I mean, and also, you know, the, the supporting cast. So I think it's a, it's definitely a big game for the XFL to show what they have out there this week. Yeah, definitely a big game. Huge. Well, Mark, that wraps up another week of reviews, another week of previews. And, uh, you know, I will look forward to coordinating the next round of them. But hopefully this time I can squeeze in a game on Sunday. But uh, Saturday is the big day for me. So Saturday games, I will not be watching. It's uh, the event of a lifetime, I guess. Right. That's what you'd say. And hopefully it is the start of a wonderful journey with my to-be wife. Then you like. But anyway. Let's not drag this out anymore. So I appreciate it. Again, you have been committed and I really do appreciate that. And uh, you, so thank you. Well, absolutely. And uh, congratulations to you and your wife early. I know it's early. She still has time, but, you know, previewing the wedding here, I I think we're in a hundred percent attendance. We'll be all right. You know, if we, if we go there, but uh, early congratulations to you too. Uh, have fun. And uh, that's about uh, spending time with family and having some fun. And, and you can you can catch up on the XFL later on this week. So you you put in enough work for the XFL and for the fan base to enjoy the week weekend off and, and uh, spend that, you know, with your family and have a great event. So congratulations early on, because I, I probably won't, uh, you know, talk to you until then, because you're going to be so busy getting things ready. But uh yeah, I look forward to next week and um you know let's uh let's hope we have a good slate of games. Till next week then. I am fortunate to have Mark and his commitment to this show is apparent. These remaining weeks and games are providing competitive games and the outcomes are as important as it gets. These are essentially playoff games and teams are playing for their own survival. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback, so do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts, and if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing, if you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code 
Let's Talk XFL for 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.